0: Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We are in a series called Light in the Darkness. We've been looking at the seven statements of Jesus from the cross. He makes seven statements on the cross, and it's going to lead us right up to Easter. And today we're we're on lesson six. And I've been saying that you can't get all seven of these statements in one particular gospel You know, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's, four different accounts of the life of Christ from four different perspectives, four different guys. You can't just go to one Gospel and find all seven statements. You have to kind of go out to different ones, and eventually you will will collect all seven of those statements. We call that harmonizing the Gospels. And uh, there's even, I have a book in my library, I think I showed it to you in like week one or two, that it's basically called The Harmony of the Gospels. It's you can read through them all and kind of compare them. it's kind of neat if your library if, you, if you're building a church, a Christian library, that would be a great book for you to have for study um, we've been We've been operating in this series on the premise that these seven statements of Jesus aren't just statements you know he didn't just make these for his health he's not just up there spouting off the first thing that comes to mind, like you know a, 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 that you might think that a dying person, especially under his circumstances i mean you You would understand if somebody going through a crucifixion almost started talking out of their mind and just started saying you know, weird stuff or whatever. But that's not what Jesus does. He's he's not just making statements saying the first thing that comes to mind. He's making statements with a purpose. And so these seven statements, we actually believe, are lessons for our life and how to get through a dark day. Jesus was going through a dark day. Even while Jesus was paying for our sins on the cross, which is what he was doing. He is buying us back out of sin for God. That's really what the crucifixion was all about. And he's still teaching us even as he is hanging on the cross. Now, we call it Good Friday. It was good for us because from a spiritual standpoint, we are forgiven. You know, we our sins get forgiven on the cross. It's a it's a wonderful, beautiful thing spiritually from that standpoint. But if, if you're physically or spiritually, Jesus, on that day, uh, it's not a good day. It's a horrible day. Uh, there's suffering and pain, the likes of which most of us will, ever, will never know. There's a humiliation and a rejection that comes along with a, a crucifixion that we will likely ever know, and it was a horrible day for Jesus. Our, our anchor verse for this series, is, it comes out of Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm going to read this to you in the message. You probably are familiar with it in the NIV or maybe the New American Standard, and you're used to hearing the the, the phrase the author and perfecter of our faith. If you've ever heard that phrase, this is that passage, although it'll read a little differently in the message. It says, keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it. Jesus didn't just come to live 33 years on the earth uh, to die for us, although that's a great thing. He also came to teach us some things. He He showed up, to say, hey, this is how you do it. Watch me. I'm going to go through a lot of the same things you go through. I'm going to be tempted, just like you're tempted. I want to show you how to get through that. I want to show you how to pray. I want to show you how to handle people who, who you know, mean you harm. I want to talk to you about your enemies. I want to talk to you about, about um, forgiveness and things like that. So Jesus had a lot to teach us, and we can learn from watching Jesus do the things that he did. The verse goes on, because he never lost sight of where he was headed that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. Now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. Another place in the scriptures, uh, that, that, that phrase, Jesus was there alongside God. The word that you get is a, a word that we use a little bit in church. We don't use it a whole lot at, at Cross Lane, um, but you hear it once in a while. It comes up from time to time in in conversation and in certain, like I'm sure in in, uh, some of your life groups this may have come up, but the word is intercessor. Uh, You know, that's not a word that you hear much outside of a church building. It's not a word that most English-speaking people use. The the best word we've got that compares to that is the word mediator, and so what intercessor means is that God, when Jesus is, is offering intercession on our behalf, it means he's talking to God on our behalf. He's... He's telling God what we need. He, he's saying, hey, I, I've been through that. I know what that's like. This, this, is, this is how they feel. This is what they're going through. This is what they need. And so last week, we looked at the fifth statement of Jesus, which is, it is finished. And this week, I want to look at what happens immediately after Jesus gets that drink. We read it in John chapter 19, verse 30, and it says, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. Now, mistakenly a lot of people believe think when they read this that that's the last thing Jesus says on the cross Which is not true And Jesus makes this statement in the middle of his suffering and that's kind of the lesson for today Basically the lesson is hey I know I'm still suffering I know I'm in pain But I also know it's finished God is doing something in the middle of this I know that this has a finish line I know that this has an end. I know that God is doing something, and I know that it doesn't look like it now, but this is going to turn out really good. And so here's the lesson for today, and it's a powerful statement that will help you through your worst days. The lesson today is be assured that there is a purpose and an end to your pain. Be assured that there is a purpose and an end. Be assured. I I love that. Be You know, my hope today is that if you leave here today, maybe I don't, in fact, I can just tell you, I'm not going to answer all your questions. I'm not going to solve all your problems this morning. I can't do that. But I would love for you to exit this lesson with an assurance that everything you suffer has a purpose and it has an end. None of us really likes the idea of, of our suffering being wasted. None of us likes the idea of suffering in any capacity, but we certainly don't want to think about this idea that we would suffer and there nothing good would come from it. There's a story in the scriptures we're going to look at briefly this morning that illustrates the beauty of what I'm talking about and it kind of we're going to take our instruction from the book of Job. Job was a devout man. He revered God. He loved God. And Job had a very very bad day. He went through a series of bad days. He lost everything. He lost his house. He lost his kids, he lost his livestock, he lost his health, he lost his wealth. He didn't lose his wife, (laughs) and when you get a load of her, you kind of come away with the conclusion that the the demons and the devil had a conversation, and it went like this. Hey, uh, devil, we... We took his kids, and we took his livestock, and we took his health and his wealth. We took everything. The only thing left is his wife. You want us to take her, too? And it's almost as you can almost imagine the devil smiled and said, No, leave her right there. Leave her right there. She's exactly where I want her to be. And you say, Well, Brett, why would you say that? Here's why. Because she was, she was a bit of a piece of work. Here's Job. He's got sores all over him and boils He's sitting on an ash pile. He's scraping his arms with pottery shards. I mean, that's how bad a shape Job's in, right? Not good. And old Mrs. Job walks in and she says, why don't you just curse God and die? Thank you. You know, I mean, doesn't she sound awesome? Not. Now, the book of Job is organized in the poetry section of our scriptures. The book of Job is one of the oldest books in the Bible, but you find it, the Bible's not written in chronological order, it's written in, it's, it's kind of organized in, in, uh, in sections. And you find Job in the poetry section of the Old Testament, and the way the book of Job is set up, the first two chapters you get some history, and then you get 36 chapters of poetry, And then the last two chapters, you get some more history. And in the middle, what you have are 36 chapters, and they're presented in a poetic way. And you kind of get what you basically get is complaining and questioning of God. That's what you get for 36 chapters. Job and and his friends and his wife and all these people chime in, and they're questioning God. And you can basically summarize the 36 chapters there in the middle of the two chapters on the end and the two chapters at the beginning You can basically summarize the whole thing with this verse out of Job chapter 30, verse 20. It says this, I call to you, O God, but you never answer. That's how Job feels. I'm sure you felt that way from time to time. I felt that way once in a while. It's like I call to you, but man, do you hear me? I have people come into my office once in a while wanting to talk, and basically what they say is, Brett, I just feel like God, I pray, and it just hits the ceiling and bounces down. God's not listening to me. And so that's how Job feels. I call to you, O God, but you, and then we get an exaggeration, and we're good at this. You never answer. We know that's not true. And when I pray, you pay no attention. And this continues for 36 chapters. And then you get to thir- verse, uh, chapter 38. <laughs> and it's as if God says, okay, I've had enough. Enough of that. I've given you 36 chapters. I think that's about enough. And now he's going to speak back to Job. And you get that in, ver- in chapter 38, verse 1. You read this. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Job, you're talking, but you don't know what you're talking about. I'm talking about things that you haven't seen and you don't have the knowledge to be speaking about. You're still in the middle. There's no way you can know how this turns out. And you weren't there with me at the beginning. And Job, you just don't know. In verse 3, he he's, <laughs> He starts verse 3 like this. Brace yourself like a man. Now listen, when God tells you to brace yourself, look out. Because God's about to unload on Job. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me, Job, how did I do that? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. A little further down in the verse, we get this in in verse 18. Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. What is the way to the abode of light? And where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? Surely you know, for you were already born, and you have lived so many years, and you can just hear the sarcasm dripping off of the words, of God and basically what God is saying is Job who do you think you are and so Job does what we all end up doing one way or the other and whether you believe in God and you follow Jesus or you don't Job is going to end up at a place that we're all going to end up and that is to a place where we realize we don't know what we don't know there's an awful lot we don't know Job answers in chapter 40, we pick it up in verse 3, verse 4, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. And there just are some things that we learn, things that all of us need to know. First and foremost is this, we don't know. God's working something out in the finish line. He was there at the beginning. He's figured out how it's all going to end. We don't know how it's going to end. In the middle, it just feels painful and hard, and I'm suffering, and I don't get it. But I don't know what God knows, and I don't know what God is figuring out, and I don't know how it applies to me. But God's working something out in the finish line. And then in chapter 43, Job makes three statements from which we basically get a large part of our theology. We're going to see three attributes of God that are critical, especially when you are in a dark place. When you are going, when I call it when the wind is blowing, right? When it's just you're just fighting the wind. It's it's dark. It's cold. It's it's just it's miserable. It's those moments when you're tempted to disbelief and doubt, and you you want to throw your hands up, and you're you, you know there's a part of you that's angry, and there's a part of you that's confused, and there's a part of you that's disheartened. Job says, I know, and I love the confidence in that when Job states it like that. I know, pay attention, you're going to hear that phrase several times. I know that you can do all things. That's the first statement. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is, it that, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? And I think, <laughs> Job goes, that would be me. And here's the second statement. Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. So my first conclusion is, God, you're a big God. That's my first conclusion. And God, I'm sorry because my humility kind of got away from me. I thought myself bigger than I, I thought myself more important than I was. I thought I had the right to come and challenge you like that, and Lord, I was wrong because you do know things I don't know. And there's an awful lot that I don't know, Lord, and my humility just got away from me. And I had no business trying to act like I was in your league. Have you ever, guys, baseball fans, have you ever seen them bring a kid up from the minor leagues, from the lower minor leagues, and they throw him to the Wolves in a major league game? And he faces major league pitching for the first time in his life, and he's overmatched. He, he has no idea what he's doing he looks kind of silly. He, you know, he's scrawny. You can tell he's not ready yet. He's, it's brand new to him. The whole, he's, he's you know, kind of lights in his eyes. I mean, he just looks a. Little, he looks, You can tell he's out of place. I think that's kind of what Job's saying: is I, I should still be in the minor leagues. I'm. You're God. You're in a whole nother league than me. You, you, you understand things I don't know. You know some things I couldn't possibly know which just let me say this, you should be grateful that God knows things that you don't know. You should be grateful. We say things like, well, I don't understand. Exactly. Do you really want to worship a God that doesn't know any more than you do? Does that really, does that compel you at all? It doesn't me. If if all of God could be fit into my understanding, he must not be much of a God. And so there are things that God knows, there are things that God's up to that we can't possibly understand. And in our situation, we lose sight of that and we say things like, you know, God just doesn't care. You don't know that. That's how it feels to you. But that's not true. Surely I spoke of things I do not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. And and where there's, there's, you know, was once somewhat of a distant relationship. In verse 5 he says, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Job shows us three attributes of God that you really need to remember when it gets dark. Okay, And we're all going to go through times when it gets dark. You need to remember these three things. Number one, God is all-powerful. God is all-powerful. The theological word that we use, if you want to impress people tomorrow at the water cooler, you know, you're standing around and you want to drop a big word, you just say, well, you know... God is omnipotent. Oh, he's so smart. Omnipotent. Doesn't that sound smart? Omni means all. Potent means powerful. Means God is all-powerful. To which you might say, exactly, Brett, that's my problem. If he's all-powerful, why doesn't he use it in my circumstance? I keep getting told that God is all-powerful. Brett, I'm tired of hearing that. I want him to make my situation better. Let me ask you a question. How do you know that God hasn't already stepped in and made your situation better? You don't. You don't. The truth is, you don't know. I don't know. We don't know the why or the when or the how, and it's frustrating for us. But we have to be humble We have to be honest. We have to understand there are things we don't know. But what you do need to know is what Colossians says. And Colossians says this For everything, absolutely everything above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. You say, Well, Brett, you've just got blind faith. In God. (laughs) Who else are you going to put your faith in? You? Your neighbor? Where else can you go to place your faith? I'd rather have hope in an all-powerful God than certainty in a very limited me. Job said, And I know that you understand things that I could never understand. Second attribute, God is all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's also all-knowing. The word we use there, the big water-cooler word there, is the word omniscient. Omniscient. Omni, all. Science is basically where we get kind of our word knowledge. All-knowing. God, you know everything. And here's the thing that you need to keep in mind. You're in the middle you, you weren't there at the beginning. You don't know what God's plan is and how he conceived it in his head. And you don't know how it's all going to work out. And you're in the middle and you're asking these questions. And, and you just got to comp- keep telling yourself there's an end. And I don't know what the end is. And I don't know what it looks like. And I've just got to trust. God knows things that you don't know. And, and that's where trust comes in. You have to trust him. Hebrews chapter 4. He knows about everyone everywhere. Everything about us is bare and wide open to the all-seeing eyes of our living God. Nothing can be hidden from him. Have you ever had somebody that was talking to you about something and you knew more about the subject than they did and they didn't know that you knew that? And they're just talking, 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 talking. You can't even get a word in edgewise. They like circular breathe. You can't step in and say, I'm actually a PhD on this, right? I was, in my first ministry, I was a youth pastor in Seymour, Indiana, and I was in my office, brand new, right out of Bible college. And I don't know anything now, and I definitely didn't know anything then, but I thought I knew it all then. The difference is I know I don't know it all now. Back then, I, I was smart, y'all, smart. And I was sitting across the table. There was this farmer that was sitting across, in, in my chair, up against the wall, Face in my desk, and i don 't even really know what he was doing in there. I had, he had a do- granddaughter in our youth group, and I lo- her name was Jennifer. I loved her. His name was Clyde and i didn 't know Clyde very well, but and I don't, I'm, I, to this day i don't really he had no business being in my office, but he was there, and he was talking to me, so i I'm like, well all right, we're going to have a conversation so we're talking, and as i've always done, I try to stay read up on a lot of different things so that I can have a conversation with you about finance or Government or politics or sports or, you know, technology or travel. I mean, I try to read a lot of different things and and just kind of stay informed. And so the subject turned to aeronautics, flight, aerodynamics, and airplanes. Well, I had read some articles. I got it. Well, we're talking along, and I'm just waxing eloquent for Clyde. And then he dropped the bomb. Well, Brett, I was actually a a Navy fighter pilot. What? Why didn't you stop me? Do you know how stupid I felt in that moment? You ever had somebody talking to you, and if they knew that you know what you know, they would think to themselves, I am an idiot. (laughs) God knows what you don't know. And sometimes when we're talking to God, that's what it sounds like. I think God wants to just look at us and say, would you shut up? You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know about this, okay? Just, I know you think you do, but you don't. And that is why you never need to be afraid to trust an unknown future to an all-knowing God. He knows. And then Job said this. I heard you with my ears, but now I have this up-close-and-personal-seeing-you-with-my-own-eyes kind of relationship. So God is all-powerful, God is all-knowing. We come to the third attribute of God. God is ever-present, ever-present. The word we use is omnipresent. Omni, all-present means He is here. Hebrews chapter 13. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? If God is with me, I'm going to be all right. I heard a preacher one time ask this question. Great question. If you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is with you, if you knew that beyond a shadow of a doubt, God is with you, is there anything you would not attempt in his name? Is there anything you would not try to do if you knew that God was with you? I have been through more than one, like you. I've been through more than one difficult valley in my life. I've gone through some valleys that were pretty dark. Usually they're of my own making. <laughs> but I've been in some pretty dark places. And, and uh, you know, places where there was very little light. The wind is really strong. And occasionally I've gone through those times and I've, I've kind of run from God. I try not to do that. I try to run to God when I'm in those situations. That's a, you know, sometimes it's a roll of the dice for us whether we're going to do the right thing or the wrong thing. But I try to run to God and go to God and be honest with him and just say, God, I need your help. And instead of getting mad at God, I usually try to run to him. And I ran to him. I've run to him through, throughout, and I've, I, what, what I've, I've basically said, God, I need you. I'm confused, and I'm, I'm angry, and I'm afraid, and I'm frustrated, and God, if I'm totally honest, I'm wrong. And I was led to this passage of Scripture, and if you were to walk into my home office, I have an office here, and I have one at the house. If you were to walk into my home office, you would see this on a plaque, in my home office it's exodus fourteen fourteen. the lord will fight for you you need only to be still and that verse has come to mean an awful lot to me the lord will fight for you you need only to be still god is with you i want to drive that point home to you real quick i'm going to read you several passages of scripture this is like machine gun rapid fire But I just want you to pick up a theme here, God is with you. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Psalm 139, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Isaiah 43, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Picking up a theme here, pattern. Jeremiah 1, verse 8, Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Skip down to verse 19 of that chapter. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Well, but Brett, that's Old Testament. That's Old Testament. Okay. All right. Jesus said, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Let me tell you this. When I know God is with me, I can face what's against me. When we're done today, I'm not really trying so much to give you answers as I am trying to give you assurance. You got to leave here today understanding. I don't get it, but I I get this. God's powerful. He's all-knowing, and he's with me. I grew up you've heard me say this, I grew up in church. I don't ever remember not going to church. So my my faith heritage is growing up, hearing the hymns. And like you, I have some favorite hymns. Um, And some of my favorite hymns, like probably like you, were penned by one of the greatest hymn writers of all time. Her name is Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby lived to be 95 years old, and all, but of all, all of that 95 years, except for six weeks, Fanny was blind. At six weeks old, there was something wrong with her eyes, and a doctor put a paste on her eyes, thinking that he was healing her, and in fact, it was a mistake, and it would blind her for the rest of her life. And she dies at 95 years of age. Her most famous hymn is the hymn, Blessed Assurance. It's one of my favorites. It's a song about the fact that no matter what, Jesus has it in hand. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. How many of you were singing along with me? I know that my God has this. I'm assured. I want you to leave here today with some things that you know for sure. I want you to leave with a blessed assurance. Paul said this, I am suffering, yet this is no cause for shame because, and this is gonna, there's another hymn here, you're going to recognize a hymn. I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Do you hear the hymn? I mean, you're singing along, right? It is finished. God has this. God has me. There is a purpose to all of this, and there will be an end to all of this, the, I say this to you all the time. I know I do. But it's one of the truest things I can say to you. The sun will shine again. If you're going through a dark place, I'm just telling you, hold on. The sun is going to shine again. I don't know exactly when, but you're going to look up one day and you're going to realize the sun's shining. Oh, this feels good. I want to leave you today with four statements that I think... If you made these statements on a daily basis, it would really help you. You say, Brett, how do I apply the messages that you're giving me? How do I apply today's message? Say these as a declaration. I've given you a piece of paper. Hopefully you're taking notes. Take this home and just give give yourself five minutes. Read a little scripture. Get this little paper out and say these four things to yourself over and over again. And you're thinking right now, he's got four more points. (laughs) It goes fast, okay? Trust me. We're almost done. I want you to say these over and over this week. Just every day, get your paper out and just say these four things over and over. Four statements that I know. Number one, I know that God loves me. I know that God loves me. I know it. I, I tell you this all the time. It's, it, you know, I, you guys write me emails. and You're like, Brett, one of the sweetest things you ever say to us is that, that thing when you tell us that God's crazy about us. But here's the truth. God's crazy about you. He loves you. Do you mess up? Absolutely. Are you a rascal? Yes. Just like your kids are rascals. Just like your kids act up. Just like your kids are disobedient, right? Do you stop loving them? No. Are you crazy about your kids? Yes. And what you would say is, they're rascals. (laughs) But they're my rascals and I love them. That's how God looks at you. How much does God love you? This much. Scripture says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. That's how much God loves you. I will spread my arms and die on a cross for you. He took our punishment, He died so that we would never have to pay for our sin. That's love. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah writes a book called Lamentations. Now, I'm just telling you, you got to appreciate any book that is just dedicated to complaining. Solid book full of complaining. It's a lament, and in chapter 3, he's still complaining. He says, you know, I, I, I remember my bitterness, I remember my gall, I remember my suffering. And then Jeremiah comes to this, and you're going to hear another hymn. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Get ready. For his compassions never fail, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Can you hear it? I got to remember God loves me. Secondly, I know that God wants what is best. For me. Some people don't have the right picture of God. Some people see God as Santa Claus. Some people see God as the Wizard of Oz. Some people see God as the Grinch. Some people see God as some mean God. That's not who God is at all. Paul said this in Romans, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son... But gave him up for us all won't he also give us everything else I mean really if God gave his only son for you do you think there's anything that God wouldn't do for you and your well-being do you think there's any place in God's economy where he goes well I don't really care what's best for him I don't really care what's best for her God wants what is best for me Verse 35, the second part, does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? And then Paul answers his own question, no! Despite all these things, in other words, it's finished. God's got it sewed up. It's worked out. In spite of these things, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Jesus Christ who loved us. God all, God's got it. God wants the best for me. Listen, the way you view God dictates in large part your relationship with God. If you think God doesn't have your best interest in mind, you're not going to be in a big hurry to come in here and worship. If you think God doesn't have your best interest in mind, you are going to be easily tempted you're gonna, you're, when things don't go your way, you're going to shake your fist at God, but when you know God loves you and you know God wants what's best for you and that shapes the way you approach God, even when it's hard, you come in and you say, God, I don't know what you're up to, but I know you love me and I know you want what's best for me and I'm here and I'm going to be unwavering. And you, if you don't have the right viewpoint of God, you won't enjoy it. It'll spoil everything in your life. But you'll love it when you know that he is good. So he loves me. He wants what's best for me. Number three, I know that God has a plan for me. God is at work in ways I cannot see. God has used my worst days to prepare me for my best days. There is no question in my mind about that. There have been days that I have been able to help somebody and I've walked away with a smile because I knew that God built that into me on a day that I probably was questioning. Like, God, what are you doing? This is hard. I don't like this. And it just never fails. I'll help somebody over here and and I'll leave that situation with a smile on my face feeling good because I got a chance to help somebody and God will remind me. You remember where you got that lesson, right? You remember where I taught you that. You weren't smiling. You weren't all that happy with me at the time. God used my darkest days to get me here. It's like an eaglet in a nest. I don't know if you know this or not, but you know eagles have these eaglets, and when they're expecting and they know these eggs are coming and they know these babies are coming, they get their nest all ready and they build this bulletproof, big, huge eagles nest and they you know it's i mean you couldn't they're indestructible and they they fit it with down feathers and they go find soft you know cushy things out in the fields so that they can bring and make it nice and soft for these babies when they're born and and for the longest time the eaglets you know they're they're in this bulletproof thing kind of down hunkered against the wind and if it rains mama spreads her wings over and it's pretty cushy for the eaglet like it's it's a you know it's a good gig Mama flies off once in a while and scoops up a fish and brings it back and even tears it apart for us and, you know, spoon feeds it to us. And, and I'm warm and I'm safe and I'm fed and, and, you know, I poo-poo and she gets rid of that. You know, everything, it's perfect. It's perfect. Why would I leave that? Sounds like some of our kids, doesn't it? Why, why would I leave It's perfect. This is What a gig this is. But there comes a point where where Mama Eagle is just like you and me. Like, you got to go, okay? It's time. And so what she does, because they're not leaving on their own, so what she does is she starts removing the down. She starts taking the soft stuff away. And pretty soon, all that's left are sticks. And pretty soon, you know, the eaglets are moving around in the nest, and they're like, ouch, this isn't comfortable anymore. And they're getting bigger, and they don't fit, and there comes a point where the eaglet says, hey, I got to go. And out they go. What you think is terrible, God is using to get you to some place or something that he has always envisioned for you. That is absolutely the reason I am in Terre Haute, Indiana today. God used something terrible to make me so uncomfortable, to get me to move, to take a step that I probably wouldn't have normally made. And because of that, this is where I, I have ended up. And I, at the time, I would have never thought that ministry was something that I was ever going to be doing. I thought my days of ministry were over. And God said, no, they're not over you got to, we're going to jab you with some sticks first, okay? Because we've got to get you where I, I've got something for you. God has a plan for you. Listen, God doesn't just have plans for preachers, okay? God doesn't just call preachers. He calls everybody. What is God's plan for you? That's what you're trying to figure out. God, what I want you to understand is God has a plan for you. You just need to know that whatever you're going through, it's a part of the plan. Well, Brett, I don't like this part of the plan. I get it. I know. I wish I could take it away. Believe me, I, there's times I talk to you, I love you so much, I wish I could take the pain away, and I can't. And if I love you, can you imagine how God loves you and He watches you go through something? And He knows it's painful and He knows it's hard, but He also knows that there's more coming. There's, there's an end to it. There's a purpose to it. And He, he, he looks down on us. He goes, I know that. They don't get it, I know, and I know they're probably mad at me and they're questioning and they're upset, I know. But if they could just see the end, if they could just know what, what I know. Jeremiah 29, for the, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Some of you, that's your favorite verse. And I'm just going to tell you this morning, you need to live like it. You need to act like it. God's got a plan for your life. He loves me. He wants what's best for me. He has a plan for me. Number four, I know that God will bring me through. 2 Timothy verse, chapter 4, verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. And Paul would say, well, God, which is it? Are you going to rescue me or are you going to bring me into the kingdom? Are you going to rescue me or do I die? And God says, yes. <laughs> yeah. Either way, you're a winner. Sometimes here on earth, we go through things, and God rescues us, and he brings us through it. Sometimes we go through things, and it gets really dark, and the lights go out, and we go home. Paul got it. They said, Paul, if you don't stop preaching, we're going to cut your head off. He said, would you? Because I can't decide. I can't figure out. Because to stay here means I get to do more ministry, but if you cut my head off, I get to go be with Jesus. And I can't tell which one of those is really the best thing, because that's a win-win. My mother and I have this conversation all the time. We had it this week. We, we trade this verse, to live as Christ, to die as gain. We talk about this all the time, and we are both in the same boat. If God leaves me here, then there's ministry for me to do, right? There's, God's got something he wants me to do. But when God calls me home, I'm perfectly ready to go home. I'm really, I'm not saying this because I've got, you know, preacher goggles on or I got my, my preacher muscles going. I really mean this. I'm really not that afraid to die. Getting dead's a little scary, but I'm not afraid to die. Because I know what waits for me. And if God decides, hey, I'm just gonna, if I'm here, then, then what that means is, Brett, I got ministry for you to do. And, and until I call you, that's what I want you to be doing is I want you to be doing ministry. But there's gonna come a day I'm going to call you. Listen, what can you do to a person that that's their outlook on life? And the answer is nothing. You can't scare that person. That person's not afraid of other people. A person who has rightly focused their attention on God and his love for you and that he wants what's best for you and he's going to go through the fire with you, when you understand that, Come what may, bring it on. You cannot hurt me. You can, you know, I tell Dee Dee and I have conversations, her work can be a little tough sometimes, and I just look at her once in a while and say, babe, they can't eat you. They can't eat you. And if they do, you get to go be with Jesus. And what you need to leave here today understanding is it is a win-win situation. Leave here with the blessed assurance that God's got this. God will be with you through it on this side or the next, but God is going to bring you through. Paul wraps this up, that verse in 2 Timothy, with this last line, to Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. God loves me. God wants what's best for me. God has a plan for me and you. And God is going to bring me through. In a minute, We're going to sing. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song praising my Savior all the day long. I know you love Him, so you're going to get to sing one, okay? But here's the deal. We're doing this for you. I expect you to sing, okay? Sing like you mean it. Sing this out to the Lord this morning in declaration of your great love and appreciation for a God who will not love you less and cannot love you more. Let's pray together. Father, we just, we're, we're in a place of worship here. We're at a point where we just, all we got is just to worship you. Some people have walked in here, it's dark. It's dark, and they're listening to me, and they want to believe it. They, they want to get on board, but man, it's so dark. Help them to see, Father, that your light is going to shine again. They, the sun is going to shine. You're there. You're with them. You know how this ends. It is victorious. They don't know that. Just give them some assurance. For the person who walked in here today and the sun is so bright they need sunglasses, we give you praise and thanks. But God, either way, we are a collective group of people in this room this morning on our knees in worship to you. Have our praise. Have our hearts. Have our voices. Have us here. We pray in Jesus' name.